Hey everybody, welcome back to Draco's Den. It's Draco here, and I know today's show is a lot later than what I would normally release. In fact, it's technically a whole day later, as this will actually be out on Sunday instead of Saturday. Apologies for that, but unfortunately, I have been down most of the evening with a migraine, and I had, you know, some usual parental duties that I wasn't expecting for this weekend to do. So I wasn't able to record the show until now. You know, I, unfortunately, when I get a migraine and it's really bad, I have to you know lay down in a dark room after taking some medicine and maybe drinking a little caffeine to get it to go away. Um, so I, this late is when I'm finally able to uh, stand the lights of you know the light of a room, the light of the computer screen so that I can actually start recording. So here we are, and the topic for this show is going to focus on dealing with my kids, both of whom have some special needs. So I'm just going to talk a little bit about what it's like to be a parent of children with special needs and some of the trials and uh, less than fun times that I get to experience as I am attempting to raise these children. Okay, now for some legal reasons, I never give my children's name on the show, so I'm going to refer to them to them by their ages. So my oldest is 13, my younger one is eight, and. A lot of this is kind of going to focus on the 13-year-old who has the higher special needs. Um, But my 8-year-old has some as well, so when it fits, I'll talk about him too. So, again, we have 13, we have 8. And what prompted this show for me was dealing with one of my 13-year-old's I guess you can call it a crisis situation, what he thinks is a crisis or what he blew up to make a bit of a crisis situation. So a lot of people, you know, that are kind of just glancing in and even some people that are a little bit more actively involved in my life don't always fully understand what it's like to deal with the 13 year old. 13 is he's autistic. Now, I know there are a couple of other conditions that have been diagnosed for him, but they kind of change each time he gets a psychological evaluation. The one consistent is that he is autistic. But, you know, um, when I got him, he had a a diagnosis of ADHD, which is still accurate. Um, There was a bipolar disorder. Um, There was some kind of anger disorder that I can never remember the name. He was not technically diagnosed with RAD, which is reactive attachment disorder or anything like that. However, he does have attachment issues. Um, The bare minimum, uh, you know, background you kind of need to understand with him is he has been in care since he was about four years old. He's now 13. Um, So the majority of his life that he remembers has been spent as a foster child and he has been in I believe he said over 20 homes, and I think he might actually have been rounding down. And that's including the period of time that he's been in my home. Now, 
also understand that right now my child is in a residential facility. We have had a lot of strong behaviors, behaviors that are not neurotypical in some cases, or just behaviors that are, you know, a little extreme even for a special needs child. But the fact of the matter is, it was better at the time for him not to be placed in a regular home with some of the extreme behaviors that we've had with him, you know, and, and anger is a large part of his issue. And sometimes it's understandable, but as he's gotten older, you know, it gets harder to deal with. At this point, you know, I'm about five foot nine and uh, heavy enough. I'm not going to give out too much, but he at this point is at least five foot six and probably around a good 160, 150, somewhere in there. He's not a small child. He's not a weak child either when he's having a bit of a moment. You know, so restraining him for me is not really the most feasible thing. I haven't had to do so in the past year or so because he hasn't been in my home, you know, consistently. Uh, you know, he's been here for visits. He's uh, We've done overnight and weekend visits lately, but, you know, he does, he does not technically live here, even though this is home for him because he's been in a residential facility as we attempt to you know, get him some form of treatment that would actually be beneficial to allow him to, you know, cope and grow and, you know, be able to coexist in society as he is reaching adulthood. I mean, let's face it, he's 13 and he'll be 14 this year. That gives him four more years, really, before he is legally considered an adult. Now, a couple of things to understand is that when I was selected to adopt this child, I understood several things about him. I understood the autism diagnosis. I understood the anger issue. I understood at the time they thought his anger was really directed more towards females, which is where the primary abuse that he suffered has come from. However, as I've been around these past two years in his life, the anger is not really just focused on females anymore. It is just a general anger. And I have seen, you know, him when he escalates. And the average person, when they see him, they see the um, talkative, but generally very nice side of him. And yeah, he can say some things that may not be fully appropriate, or he'll ask questions because that's what popped in his head. And they can mostly understand that. But if you don't live with him, you don't get to see when he flips that switch and kind of turns into this whole other person. You know, we've had issues that have escalated in the past couple of years with him being violent, violent towards adults, violent towards children, it, you know, nothing towards animals. He actually loves animals, but, you know, it, as far as people, it doesn't matter the age or the sex anymore. And there is the issue of 
is this some uh, a case of he doesn't understand something or is it a case of i want what i want and you're not giving me what i want so i'm gonna throw this tantrum because i think i can make you give me what i want and personally speaking having dealt with him for these past two years more often than not it's the latter he's very intelligent he's not you know on the low end of the spectrum or anything like that he doesn't necessarily have developmental delays as far as you know intelligence his delays tend to be more social but he's also been in the system so long that he knows how to work the system so i'm just going to you know give you a little background here on what you know some of us with special needs children kind of have to deal with with this type of child especially you know when they've also been in foster care for most of their life already behaviors get a little extreme okay so let's go with the easy example here have you ever been in you know a store or somewhere in public and you see a child that is above which you think is the age that they should be throwing tantrums right well, very rarely do people stop and think that maybe the reason that this older child is throwing a tantrum is because they're a special needs child. You know, they, uh, a lot of people that I encounter, a lot of people that I deal with often just look and like, well, this kid needs their ass whooped. Well, the problem with that line of thought is I have an autistic child who will, in fact, throw a tantrum, a whole meltdown in the middle of a store because he decided that he wanted some candy, and I said no. Now, to be fair, I don't often get that particular problem with him. Normally, I get the tantrums at home, but I have had one public shutdown with him. Not a full-blown tantrum, but one where, you know, he complained for a minute, and then he just regress and won't talk and won't look at anybody and just kind of is glaring around the room and of course people around me at this particular point are like well what the hell is wrong with your kid the answer to this is i told my kid and this particular incident was held at a at a chick-fil-a and with my food i ordered a shake with his food i made him order a soda Now, I have a reason to everything that I do, and the reason that I didn't give him a shake is because if I got him a shake, he's going to drink the shake and not eat his food, and I don't intend to waste money. So, he's having a little meltdown, and I let him have said meltdown because he's not being loud with it, but he is sitting there glaring around the room like he wants to murder everybody, and it took him roughly 10 minutes to finally calm down and open his mouth and speak. He could follow directions, such as eat your food. But it took 10 minutes, 15 minutes, somewhere in there before he could finally came down enough to where I would finally bother to explain to him the reason you didn't get a shake was because you're not going to eat your food if you don't have a shake. That's just a a small example of the type of tantrums that he throws. And, And they've been worse, you know, with other people, you know, in other homes and in the residential homes he's been in. We've you know, dealt with a lot of tantrums, frankly, at this point, that's, that's mainly what I'm dealing with. And I'm going to kind of highlight the tantrum that I just dealt with this last week. So the problem that I tend to have with 
13-year-old, is he does a lot of things that he knows he's not supposed to do. Like, he understands fully. It's been explained. He actually understands. You see the light bulb go off, so you know he knows not to do these things. Specifically, we have an issue with him and his internet access. I don't allow him internet access when he's home, but I can't control what goes on in the facility. I can make recommendations, but apparently they don't really follow them even after they've experienced some of the problems that I had with him when he was home. He has a a tendency, he has an impulse control issue, one could say. And this idea that he can kind of do what he wants and not really suffer any consequences. And part of that is because he hears the excuse getting made sometimes for him of, well, he's autistic and he doesn't know any better. No, he knows better. But he's heard his caseworkers make that particular statement so often that he uses it to justify doing things that he wants to do that he knows he shouldn't do. So this week I get a phone call from the facility and I'm told that my child has, um, earlier that morning, a enterprise rental car representative comes to the facility looking to pick up my kid. Again, said kid is 13 years old. He can't rent no cars, and, and Enterprise is not a pickup service unless you're about to go rent a car. The problem is that the previous day, he had been given access to the internet, and no one is supervising. So he goes on Enterprise Rent a Car's website and decides, well, I want to leave here. So I'm going to order a car and see if they'll take me. Okay. Beyond that, he uh, when he's caught, because obviously they're you know they they come to the facility thing and they're picking up an adult, and the adults are like, no, that child's thirteen. When he's confronted, he blames me. He says, "My dad sent the car. If I was going to send a car for him, I'm certainly not going to send Enterprise rent a car. I mean." Maybe, and he couldn't do Uber or Lyft because, you know, you need a card on file in order to do that. He definitely didn't have one of those. Then he blames his uncle. And it's all, it's it's a lie. It's, he's decided he doesn't want to be there. So he's going to act out to see if he can get, you know, get out. Problem that is, it's not really going to get him out. It's going to make him stay there longer. Because that's just poor judgment, right? Well, then there's a second incident they informed me of. So where he threw a little tantrum, basically, because he couldn't do something else he wanted to do. He wanted to go clean or something. And it was quiet time. And that's a rule. It's a standard thing they do there every day. And during that time, they just have to be in their rooms and be quiet. Well, he throws a tantrum. Now he's threatening the staff. Okay. So, you know, I have a staff member alerting me to this and asking me, you know, can you have a word with your kid here? Because, you know, dad, it's kind of my job. So we did have a word. And I wasn't overly um, loud. I actually didn't yell at all. I didn't really cuss. Wanted to. Because, frankly, bluntly, this is dumb shit. But I have to handle this from a, a 
parental point of view and be a little bit more mature about it. It's not like I'm talking to, you know, one of my friends. So we had a discussion, you know, and, and in the discussion, he was reminded of all the reasons that everything that he did was wrong. The fact that I've had these issues with him on the internet doing stuff like that. We've had issues with him starting accounts on Amazon and eBay and, and, and actually applying for credit cards and stuff, which he's 13. And no, he doesn't know his own social. So I don't know what social security number he used to apply for this, but it always flagged as fraud anyway. You know, so that means we all have to go through steps of closing out accounts. I have to hijack emails. I had to delete email accounts because it was just so overbearing and the amount of stuff that he had subscribed to was just too much. Well, after I've done this and I've done, been the disciplinarian, so I've told him what he did was wrong. I've told him the possible consequences. I've told him what I want him to do as far as, you know, making up to the staff that he had threatened, all because they wouldn't let him go clean until after quiet time was over. And I think I'm done for the night. You know, I'm trying to relax. I get a phone call 20 minutes later, and the first words out of my child's mouth or I don't want to live with you anymore. Now, let me stop right here. This is kind of a common issue with my 13-year-old. This isn't the first time I've heard these words. It probably won't be the last time I hear these words as long as I am dad. Because I've heard them when he lived here. I've heard them since he's left here. You know, I don't want to be here. I don't know. You're mean. You always say no to everything. Um, you never let me do what I want never let me buy what I want, so on and so forth. And, you know, some of those things are kind of, that's not even a, 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 a issue that kids with, uh, you know, neuro, that are, have a neurotypical brain don't have. I think most parents face some variation of that at some point. It's just excessive with my child and his needs. And, you know, for other people that I've associated with that have children with autism, or that are on the spectrum, or Asperger's, or, or, you know, some other form of less than neurotypical condition. This is what we do with. So this is how he opens the call. There was no hello. This is the I'm mad, and I'm mad at you, and I'm mad at the staff for telling you, so I'm going to take it out on you. I'm aware of what this is. Now, my friends and family were a little bit more offended by this statement than I am. Don't get me wrong. It doesn't make me feel good. It doesn't make me happy to hear it, but neither does it make me violently angry and, you know, just fed up and like, okay, well, I'm not going to, I'm going to take you at your word. Although, that being said, I almost did take him at his word. And to be fair, that kind of comes from the exhaustion that you feel when you deal with this child where you've already spent 20 minutes before this you know, lecturing, reminding, and not in a, a mean way, but, you know, having to remind and reinforce and restate things that you've stated thousands of times before. So there comes a point where you do get a little exhausted and you get a little exasperated, but you're not allowed to show that you're exasperated. So I handled this a little differently than anybody else I know would have handled it. I simply told him, okay, are you sure about this? And he said, yeah, I don't want to live with you anymore. Okay. Well, what you can do is you can call and you can speak with your case manager in the morning 
and you can let the case manager know this. The reason I deflected it this way is because I already know in about an hour, this is going to have gone away in his brain and he will think everything is okay. Or he will at least act like everything's okay. Because in his mind, well, the incident's over. So, you know, he doesn't have to deal with the consequences of his actions, except he kind of does. So, as I'm getting this call, and there's an adult in the background, it's on speakerphone, so they can hear everything. And they allowed him to make the call because he was throwing a tantrum with them and he was not willing to let the issue go. Okay. So here's the fun part of, you know, I just, I just deflect a little bit because at this point I'm like, I'm not going to engage in a way that is, you know, confrontational. I am like, okay, well you're angry right now. If that's how you feel, this is what you can do. And, you know, I got the whole, I'm not going to change my mind. But of course, the person watching him, you know, the staff member there at the facility is jumping in like, hey, you know, that's kind of wrong for you to call your dad and tell him you don't want to come live with him anymore because you're mad because in your mind he yelled at you. And again, I didn't actually yell. When I yell, there's a difference. You know, and I know that I'm on speakerphone whenever he's calling me. Therefore, I never yell at him over the phone. Because if I yell at him over the phone, then I have adults questioning me like, well, did you have to yell at him that way? And then I have to tell them, yes, you fucking moron. I did have to yell at him that way. But I'd rather avoid all that. So, and I don't always yell at him even in person. Sometimes I just have to have a long, detailed discussion in which I repeat the same thing six times over to get my point across. And I didn't yell this time. Didn't yell, didn't cuss, didn't fuss. I simply told him, I'm disappointed. I'm not happy with what you did. You know what you did was wrong. You know what you did was actually illegal. And... This is what you can do to fix the situation there. But here here are the consequences to your action going forward. Same thing I would do if he's at home. So, you know, I have the staff member trying to talk him down and letting him know, you know, you're being, uh, you know, a little disrespectful all because you're mad and you're not taking, you know, accountability for your own actions and... I'm at this point just listening because I'm actually kind of over the situation. I'm used to these fights. I'm used to this at this point. I've, I've dealt with this for two years now. So I'm used to this elevated state in, in which all of a sudden he's trying to do everything he can to hurt me and get a reaction. I'm not going to give him the reaction he's looking for. I'm going to give him a reaction, which I did. I told him to call his caseworker. You know, who's his legal guardian who can make that determination for him? Like, oh, okay, well, you don't want to live with your dad. Fine. We, we, you know, and and they can handle it from there if it really gets that far. Now, I already know it's not going to get this far. But I'm going to listen to him talk and I'm going to circle around because I know, you know, he's not. So escalated if he can talk this much that I can't calm him down. So I can, and I do. I manage to eventually by talking things through. And, you know, eventually it gets out that he feels that I was being mean. Bec- 
because I told him that he was wrong for the two things I previously discussed that he did, you know, getting Enterprise Rent-A-Car to try and get you to leave the facility. You kind of can't leave the facility if, you know, a legal guardian doesn't come take you, dude. Um, and, you know, threatening the staff. And I mean, he's threatening to kill the staff. So, you know, th- these are serious issues. I am simply holding him accountable. So all I did was basically have the same conversation over, but this time I'm asking questions. You know, I'm like, so did anything that I said previously, did it sound like I was being malicious? Did it sound like I was being vindictive? Or did it sound like I was reminding you that what you did was wrong? And I'm asking, you know, as I go through each part of the argument I'd already made, it's, does this sound like something that is dad being mean or you did something wrong and need to be held accountable for your actions. And he can answer the question, which in turn lets us know he knew what he did was wrong at the time that he did it. He knew what he did was wrong at the time that he was talking to me. And he knew that there were going to be consequences for his actions. Then he wants to say, well, the staff is being mean to me. I'm scared of the staff. Why are you scared of the staff? Well, there are a lot of bruises on, on certain kids here. Hmm, okay, well, let's examine that. Why are the bruises on the kid? Well, they're being placed in restraint holds. Ah, okay, well, why are they being placed in restraint holds? Are they doing something? Are they attacking the staff? Are you attacking the staff? Because you've been placed in restraint holds several times. The answer to that is yes. I said, okay, so is that something that is the staff being mean? Or your actions are prompting them to react? He can answer this question. He already knows his actions are prompting them to react. Nobody is actually abusing this child. No one is is taking joy in having to place him or other children in restraints. No one is being directly, you know, personally mean and attacking him. It's simply that he doesn't want to be held accountable for his actions. So he wants to run away. He wants to get out of the facility. He wants, you know, somebody to come get him. And then we had to have the discussion of, you know, first off, you can't leave here for legal reasons. You can't leave here because, you know, this is a treatment thing and you clearly haven't completed treatment. And even if by some miracle you leave that facility, you won't be coming home because your treatment isn't complete. So you would just end up in another facility. Or if you're really just adamant that you don't want to come live with me because I fussed at you or I yelled at you or however you want to phrase it. Well, guess what? That means they got to find another home for you. Kind of going to suck. And, you know, I spent another 20, 30 minutes. I don't know. I kind of lost count because part of it I spent having to listen to the other adult. But a lot of it spent me repeating myself and breaking down the same thing that I said over and over and over again. Until finally, I got to the point where I was like, okay, you're calm enough now. You're rational enough now. So, and and at this point, it's almost nine o'clock at night. I know full well it's bedtime at this facility. I'm like, so, you know, what you can do now is you can get off phone, go in your room and go to bed like you're supposed to do. And I don't want to have any incidents. That's just a minor tangent. It's just a little glimpse into things that I have to deal with, with, with him. And this isn't the first time I've had a call like this. You know, I, this isn't the first time I've had the phone call with the waterworks provided because I, I forgot to mention there were tears involved in this, but I know that for what it is. It's, 
he thought if he complained enough and if he told me, well, I'm scared of the people here, that immediately I was going to get up and go running to rescue him and remove him and just let him come home. And that's wasn't realistic. I'm like, you know, because I can ask questions and I know which questions to ask. And he can't specifically say other than, well, you know, we're, I'm getting bruises when I'm placed in restraints anything else that was being done. And it's like, I've had to restrain him once before. I can see how he would end up with bruises based off the way that he thrashes. And he does thrash around in, in violent ways. You know, he tried, he does bite, scratch, claw. Um, and then if he's decided he wants to go the self-harming route for attention, you know, he'll slam his face into a wall or uh, into the floor or, you know, just do anything to get attention because he also understands that in cases of self-harm, someone has to intervene. If he threatens self-harm, we have to intervene. And, you know, he's done that with me where he'll threaten self-harm knowing that I cannot just sit at home if he's threatened to kill himself. I have to react. I have to once again take him to the hospital. And he's been hospitalized I hospitalized him twice while he lived with me. He was hospitalized twice after he was removed from my home and placed into res or yeah, he was placed in a residential. So he was hospitalized twice more, not including, you know, actual medical stuff. These are the psychiatric hospitalizations. And it's because, you know, with the particular hospital here that he loves to go to, it's like a vacation. You know, you don't really have to go to school. You just have to do what they call group once or twice a day. But then you get to sit around and color and watch TV and all that. And you might have to talk to the doctor and then take some meds. But it's a little vacation for him. And he doesn't understand that's not really a uh, long-term solution. It's not supposed to be considered pleasant. It's not supposed to be a goal. But it is for him. And... These are the things that we just kind of have, have had to deal with with him. And we'll probably continue having to deal with with him. And it gets a little bit exhausting. Now, you may be thinking from what I said earlier, well, what about the eight-year-old? What kind of special needs does he have? Well, as far as diagnosis, he just has ADHD. They also give him the diagnosis of PTSD, but I just want to throw this out there. Every fucking foster kid is given that diagnosis these days, PTSD. I've only had one foster child that did not have that diagnosis, and that's the one child that wasn't supposed to be in foster care because he wasn't a victim of abuse or neglect. His issue was he was so out of control in behavior. In a sense, he was neglected in that his mother gave up custody of him to the state to get some assistance with him. But, you know, he didn't really have any other psychological issues. He was just an entitled little shit, <laughs> basically, that his mother had waited until he was 14 years old to try and instill any real discipline in him and was baffled to discover that if you didn't discipline him for 14 years up to here, he's not going to listen to you now. But aside from that, every other kid I've had is, is diagnosed with PTSD, at least initially. And at, 
I don't even know that all of them were given that diagnosis from an actual psychiatrist or psychologist. I think sometimes it's just the workers throw it in and they're like, oh, I know the situation they've been in. They have to have PTSD. And I know our social workers have degrees, but that's not really a diagnosis that you should be just slapping on. But that's neither here nor there. With the little one, my problems are, you know, a little bit more just learning. You know, he's a little behind the curve. He's behind grade level, you know, helping him, you know, try to get up to par with, you know, the basic skills in school with math and reading. And also, he's a little socially awkward, too. So kind of getting him to understand social norms, you know, not barging into the room of your female cousin's you know, without knocking, um, not automatically hauling off and punching a kid in the face simply because he said hi and you didn't know who he is and he's littler than you, um, not picking on your little brother who's actually bigger than you just because you're the older one, um, not instigating stuff with little brother or older brother or cousins just to see where it goes. And then, you know, we have some traumatic issues that come. Um, his, we, we didn't agree with the PTSD diagnosis, but he does have some trauma and, you know, we have some behavioral issues with stealing food items, sometimes items that shouldn't even matter, but there they are. And, Occasionally, we get the uncontrollable tantrum, the crying, the whining, the, the, the heavy breathing, the not talking just because he didn't get his way. I've dealt with, and I've had him for almost a year now, next month will make a year, and I've dealt with three of those on a large scale basis of just tantrum and one of them went on for an hour and a half because I timed it uh you know when it started and it's and that one was because I wouldn't go buy him some McDonald's and I timed it you know I had left picked him up from a friend's house and from the time I left there until we got home I timed it and it was it's about an hour and a half crying irrational all because I'm not going to go buy food when there's food here. And little did he know, I didn't really have money to go buy any food if I wanted to at the time. And it all started from a joke between me and a friend, right? So I've dealt with that with him. His tantrums are still not the same as the 13-year-olds. You know, he does not physically attack me. You know, when he has his tantrum, it's just mainly the crying and the the heavy breathing and the I guess lack of rationalization at the time except I discovered after the first tantrum I can talk him down and and cut that down to about a five minute thing normally um which is kind of necessary because he also has asthma and I'm like uh you know when when he throws these long-term tantrums at least to an asthma attack. So, you know, you, you do a tantrum, now you have a panic attack or an asthma attack, and now I have to do breathing machines and inhalers and all that over a tantrum. 
And, uh, you know, for him, it, it's more of the, you know, getting the social stuff right and getting his grades right and, and helping him build his confidence in these skills that other children his age have that he felt like he didn't have. A little different. Still have to kind of work around things. And then with him... You know, I don't just have to deal, I don't have the same issues as I have with a 13-year-old in that, you know, 13-year-old is, is being adopted. And, you know, I don't have to worry about birth parents and birth family for the most part. Little one I do. I have to deal with the birth giver. I have to deal with the sperm donor. And no, I'm not calling them mom and dad because you have to earn those those damn labels and they haven't earned them. Um. My primary source of frustration nowadays is dealing with his bio parents, dealing with the broken promises. Again, because we're back to that. Y'all know I did a show on this a few weeks ago, uh, or back in January, actually. And here we are in February, and I'm still dealing with the issues. I'm dealing with, you know, not showing up for the visits that you shouldn't have been given anyway based on your lack of willingness to do just a regular couple hours of a visit, and now you get overnights, and this weekend, scheduled weekend, no reason for me for it to be delayed, and sperm donor decides not to come do his weekend visit that he complained and 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 had the birth giver call me a couple of weeks ago complaining because he didn't get one weekend that I'd already arranged previously and had to explain to both of these morons that your court order does not force me to give you visits every single weekend. It says, and I quote, you may have up to 48 hours each week overnight visits. May. That is a key word in the fucking order. Why? Because at the end of the day, I still have custody of your child. He still has to do things in my home. He's still part of my family. And I don't see that changing anytime soon unless I change it, and I don't intend to at this point. So, it says may because I do have the authority to say, okay, this weekend doesn't work, I need him home, or this weekend doesn't work because I'm going out of town and he needs to go with me. I don't have the authority to just outright say you can't have any visits. I do have to allow them, but I don't have to allow them every single solitary weekend. And I don't have to allow you the full weekend. It says up to 48 hours. If I only want you to have one day because I have something to do Friday night and I don't want you to get them until Saturday, you can't get them until Saturday. If I have something, you know, if we're not in town Friday and Saturday and all you can do is get him Sunday morning till Sunday evening, technically I am abiding by the court order. And I ask these questions. So don't think that I'm just going and and, and don't take my legal advice. If you're in this situation, by all means, ask somebody. But for my purpose, I asked when the order was issued, how do I have to abide by this? You know, what would find me in contempt of court? What would find me in contempt of court is if every weekend they call and ask for a visit and I say, nope, not this weekend, every single weekend. Well, then I'm violating the order. But I'm not violating the order to say this one weekend out of the month, I need him home. 
or as in the month of March, where I plan on flying out to Phoenix to visit my god sister and my niece, I need him for two weekends because I'm not going to be in town that entire week. There's no way for me to leave him here. There's no one for me to leave him here with for that entire week. And it's the week he's on spring break. I don't have anybody that can watch him for a whole week. Nor should I have to, because guess what? As the foster parent, I'm entitled to go on vacation and take him with me. And guess what? I'm going on vacation. I'm taking him with me. So that'll be two weekends that you don't get him. Guess what? I'm out of town. There's nothing you can do about that one. And you can't have him for a whole week. Your visitation is visitation. It's not. that. That's like you're trying to take custody. No, we're not at that point yet. And we're not going to get to that point, probably. And then I have the additional fun of these idiotic adults saying things in front of the kid or to him about me, you know, because I'm not, quote unquote, real dad. And it wasn't fair that he had to stay home one weekend. And the reason he had to stay home was because the oldest son was coming home. And for safety reasons, I need to see how they interact with each other, right? This is established. Worker knew. Worker's boss knew. You know, th- this is a limitation that I have, and I don't have to apologize for, right? This was known. It's documented. And I told the idiot, sperm donor, why he couldn't get in that weekend. And then still, he has the moronic birth giver call me and complain anyway, as if I'm obligated to explain things to her. This is the joy of being a foster parent in this situation. And it's like, they don't call to ask me anything about, like, how's the kid doing? How's his behavior? How's he doing in school? They don't ask these types of questions. They, at, at this point, they really don't call me much at all. They only show a small bit of interest at the court hearing when they lie. Because that's what they did the last time. And they're going to do it again. And, you know, now I, for him, I have to go through the effort of covering up or covering my tracks, not covering up, but covering my tracks by saying, you know, this weekend, sperm donor didn't show. So I had to call the caseworker and let her know, yo, he didn't show. And I, and, and to be fair, I called the moron four times on Friday night, four times trying to get hold of him. His phone was turned off. And and before you say, oh, well, it's Valentine's Day. Maybe he wanted to spend, you know, Valentine's Day with his, you know, significant other. First off, screw that. Secondly, um, welcome to parenthood. Thirdly, uh, he asked for this weekend. I have a list of like five dates that he specifically asked for. The only date not included was the weekend of January 31st. But every other weekend was on that list of dates that I had to agree to. So, you know, they listed the 7th, the 14th, and the 21st, and the 28th of this month. Okay, so... Not my fault you made a choice not to follow through on that one. And I know I said... When I had the problems with the court hearing, that I wasn't going to go any more court hearings. I lied. After I've cooled down, um, I'm going to go. 
because I feel that my voice needs to be heard. And the only difference is this time I'm going to insist that the worker and their lawyers um, ensure that the judge makes sure that I'm heard this time so that I'm not forced to give more than what I should to people that are not doing what they're telling this judge that they're doing. And so that we can, you know, do what's best for the child, not what's best for the adult that views the child as a possession. So just going through that a little bit, I know some people are probably like, well, how do you deal with this? How do you decompress after all this? Now, normally, I probably would have told you I have a drink. Problem with that, I haven't had a drink in months. (laughs) Um, Honestly, a lot of this gets dealt with just with me ranting at somebody. You know, I call my mom, I call my best friend, and I just have to rant and and let this all out. Or if I can go see my best friend... um, that way the kid's not up under me and then have to listen to me because I'm at her much larger house. He can go play with the other kids and not be up under me. I, I go rant. Um, I meditate. You know, I, I journal a little bit here and there. Um, I'll delve back into poetry more often than not. I find that that helps me express some of the frustration that I feel. And then most frequently, I play video games. I go play a really mind-numbing video game. I will go play a wrestling game, a fighting game of some sort, something with just gratuitous violence to not have to think about all of the shit that I am dealing with. And, you know, after the the most recent incident with the 13-year-old, I came into my room and I went to sleep. (laughs) Um... That one was draining. And, you know, and it helps when I do have the little breaks where someone else is watching the kid, which right now is the eight-year-old. And it's kind of the reason I'm a little frustrated when visits don't happen because I kind of need that little break to decompress where for this day or two, I'm, I'm just dealing with myself and I can lay around and lounge and relax and let some of the worry go from my mind for at least that little while. Now, that's not to say that I'm not always worried about my kids when they're away from me because I am. And yes, I miss them, but it helps to have some free time. And like I said, just, just decompress where I'm not sitting there stressing over it. I do constantly remind myself, you know, in the situations as they get heated in in the moment, I have to remind myself, you know, just yelling at them, at the kids, is not going to actually help. More often than not, kind of hurts the situation. Um, I mean, sometimes I, I do it to, you know, get my point across, and I do get my point across. But other times, you know, I have to circle around, do things a little different, a little bit more new age than old school. 
I kind of have to, I have to deal with things on a, on a day-to-day basis. And to be fair, there are just points where I am mentally and physically exhausted. And this weekend was one of them. And that's why I was looking forward to a bit of a break because I am exhausted. It also helps to have, uh, you know, a person or two that actually deals with having a child with similar special needs or, you know, someone that is a foster parent that understands the frustration of dealing with stupid ass bio parents. And yes, I said that through gritted teeth because they piss me off. And I don't apologize for that because they do. I... When I have my little venting sessions, I've come to a realization. I will never be able to comprehend a parent not taking care of their child, not doing everything they can to get their child back if they've lost custody of them, because I had the most stellar mother. So I view things the way that I view my mom. My mom was a single parent to myself and my little sister. All of our lives, even when she was in a relationship, it was really just her up until her current marriage. And by the time she got married to this man, I was an adult. So when you have that example of a parent, you can never comprehend a parent that views their child as a possession. You can never comprehend a parent not doing any everything they can to take care of their child. A parent who is a sometime parent kind of can't fathom that. And then when you look at my older child and his more heightened needs, I have a realization that, you know, I can't raise him in every way identically to what I how I was raised because his mind does work differently than mine. I am not autistic. I have a rudimentary understanding of how his mind works, but my mind technically does not work that way. I've had to train myself to, you know, kind of think the way that he does in order for me to explain things to him, not just when he does wrong, but just explaining things to him in general. You have to take a lot of time out to explain things that with a neurotypical child, you probably don't really have to explain. They either catch on right away or you just don't explain because you can say, because I said so. And, you know, that works. And sometimes that works for him. Sometimes it's literally, I can say, I'm the dad and I told you to do this, so do what I said. And it it clicks. But, you know, some things you have to take time and explain because sometimes he, he legitimately just wants to know, well, why? Why am I doing it this way? That does not make sense to me. It does not compute. Which is not as frustrating as it sounds most times. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it's just like, okay, seriously, I just need you to do what I told you to do right now and, and we can talk about it later. And in, in the case of his, you know, more extreme behaviors, it's the pun- you know the type of punishment that I grew up on is not always effective with him. Sometimes it is, but sometimes I have to do things a different way. You know, I have to 
you know, do the reward and punish thing. I have to come up with something creative. I have to take away things that actually mean something. And sometimes, it, you know, I can, the punishment is in the hour and a half lecture that you just caught explaining why what you did was not the right thing to do. It's a little different. It gets a little exhausting. And honestly, I could use vacation at this point. But even on vacation, I got one of the kids with me because, I mean, that's parenting and that's what I signed up for. And, you know, I think part of the frustration that I have kind of comes from the fact that I do this solo. But if I had waited to end up in a relationship before I started trying to foster and, you know, doing what I felt that I could do for these children, I would still be waiting because I've been single officially as of today, five years now. This is five years to the day when I broke up with my ex. So, um, no, I didn't want to wait. And I'm okay with the fact that I am doing this solo most times. It would be easier if I had somebody to lean on, but... I do have, you know, this positive notes of I know with the eight-year-old, you know, I've seen him progress and develop in school, develop a little bit more socially. He's more outgoing, more affectionate, so on and so forth. So I know there's a bit of reward for what I've done thus far. Okay, so I think... It's time to lighten up a little bit as we come to the, to the close of the show here. I do have one um, listener submitted question to answer. And yeah, I'm going to get to that one because I feel that it's going to be a little fun to answer. So the question I was asked is uh, from the last episode because I spoke about Dion and Talis um, and Dion was a quote-unquote ladies' man or whatever. So the question I'm asked is, how does a character go from womanizer to ending up with his best male mate? Also understand that the person that's asking me this is British. That's why he says mate. Because in my head, when I say mate, mate is partner, life partner, not friend. But yeah, um... Basically, he's asking how did Dion, who was a womanizer, end up with his uh, gay best friend? Well, here's the answer to that. Um, It's not that uncommon in real life, honestly. Think about it this way. If a guy has been raised all of his life, um, as, as many of us have been, that... Being gay is a sin, supposedly in the Bible, which I'm not going to get into the the multitude of reasons why people really need to read a little bit further into that. But if you've been raised under this religious doctrine, and sometimes not even the religious doctrine, just a closed-minded parent as far as, as sexuality goes, and you've been told all your life, well, being gay is wrong. Going to hell for being gay or just that it's not quote-unquote natural, so on and so forth. A lot of men um, who are actually attracted to men start off going after every woman they can find. Like, they are a womanizer because they have to prove 
to whoever, society in general, I guess, that they're not gay. They don't like men. And, you know, and that can go on for years. It's not like just they go through this sexual awakening as a teenager or whatever and you know, only for that period of time, they are womanizing and all of a sudden they come into acceptance. No, if you pay attention, you know, there are people, celebrities nowadays that are much older when they finally step out of the closet and some of them have been like freaking married or whatever for 20 years. And then all of a sudden, Hey, I'm gay. Or at least that's the way it seems on the outside looking in. And it's not really in sudden thing it's a they've always really been that way but never felt comfortable up until this point admitting it and and you know living in their truth so in answer to that question Dion is one of those that it was just you know you're not supposed to be gay so he wasn't in his mind. And he was a womanizer. And to be fair, realistically, in that circumstance, my feeling is you're actually bisexual. Um, because you're able to have sex with women. You're able to be attracted to them. Because I don't know about them, but if I ain't attracted, there um, tends to be an equipment malfunction. So if your equipment was able to work for it, Clearly, you, you you were attracted to it. It's just that you also had an attraction to men. And at some point, the attraction to men winds up being stronger, winds up being more of what you actually want. That would be the case for Dion. You know, he reached a point in life where he realized that everything that he really wanted in a partner was right in front of him. And he had walked away from it or ran away from it in his best friend. And I mean, I've, I've seen that happen in real life. I've had a couple friends that that's really how they started. You know, when they finally decided to venture out of the closet, um, it was, that was the reasoning, you know, they had been raised, they'd been told, you know, gay people go to hell. It's not natural. It's abomination, blah, 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 all that usual religious bullshit. And finally, they reached a point where they couldn't deny it anymore, or they realized that it was bullshit. So they come out and they go for what they really want. Now, to be fair, also in real life, sometimes those same people go from being a womanizer to just a male hoe with other men. And in that case, I feel like, you know, that's just how they work. <laughs> you know, maybe they have a really high drive. Maybe they just still haven't found the right one. I don't fucking know. But in answer to your question, it happens a lot in real life. So that's how I made it work in the story. And that was Dion's story, really. He had just been told, you know, society maintained, okay, well, Man goes a woman, so that's what he did. And this, in his case, he went with a lot of women. Also, to be fair, you know, the awakening for him was the ex, Colby. She was pretty unhinged, to say the least. And 
when he finally got a moment of clarity, because keep in mind there's some magic involved in their situation, you know, he could finally realize what he wanted, and she wasn't it by any stretch of the imagination. She wasn't it physically, she wasn't it mentally, spiritually, any of that, and Talos was. So that's who he ends up with. Okay, so with that question wrapped up, that pretty much wraps up this week's show. Frankly, this was a a bit of a uh, cathartic exercise for me just to kind of vent a little bit of my frustration from this past week, but also, you know, to give some insight into what it's like dealing with foster children, special needs children, however you want to phrase it. And, you know, we'll see how it goes. So, um... Again, I haven't settled on a topic necessarily for the next episode. There's a lot of things that have been going on that I may talk about. So next show might be a little bit of a mix of questions and me talking about some things that I've uh, been going through, such as, you know, getting a little older. And But I'm only 32, and I have lost a lot more classmates to, you know, death than one would think you would have lost already at this age, and that number seems to be going up. Then there's the issue of, you know, increased violence, you know, here where I live. I live in St. Louis. Um, Nothing but violence going on these days, so might touch on that particular subject and the fact that it's getting a little disturbing here. Um, Quick updates, though. You know, I am doing some writing on... A new series. I haven't named it yet. I've named the characters. I'm several chapters in at this point. I know exactly, you know, where I'm trying to get to with that one. And um, hopefully that series will catch on and be just as interesting as the other two. I am looking at the next book in the Dragon Hunter series, by the way. It was written. It has been through three rounds of edits, I think, at this point. Um, It's going to go through probably three or four more rounds because I need to add some to that story. I need to take away some stuff, change a few things. Um, But I think that one is already like 60 or 70,000 words where it's at now and it was finished, and I want to add to it. So there is another story, at least one more, coming out in the Dragon Hunter series. Um... I just don't have a time frame yet on when I'm going to release it. Um, The third book in the Coven series is somewhat in limbo. I did start it. I have done some work and a few chapters into it. But I kind of feel like that one, given how book two ended, might have to be reworked a little bit. So it's definitely in the works. Um, I do still have the, uh, poetry book in mind. I, I've collected what poems I had. I just don't feel that I had enough to do a whole book yet. So as I add to it, when I finally reach a point where I think it's enough, then I will go ahead and release that one. And that one, I'm not going to delay on the release of, you know, once I get it together and I format it the way I want, I'm just going to go ahead and put that out there and, let people start buying it and see how that does in comparison to the other books or just how it does in general, really. Um, 
couple other notes. You know, if you're listening to the podcast and you're wondering, you know, how to, you know, be supportive, first off, share it, listen to it. That helps. However, there is a support button underneath this podcast on whichever platform you listen to that'll redirect you back to Anchor. And there's a couple different options of ways you can kind of help support the podcast and uh, help me to keep it going and, you know, make it a little profitable. So if you're uh, interested in that, look around on wherever you're listening to the podcast at and where it says, uh, you know, support or support on Anchor. Just give that a click and choose one of the three options that it gives. And that would definitely help me out because it'll help me keep the podcast going. It'll help me, you know, as it's time to upgrade equipment or buy new equipment, especially, you know, as down the road, I'm going to do some podcasts where other people are featured. Any little bit helps. And as always, if you have questions to submit, make sure to send those to me. Uh, You can use the message option that you see wherever you're listening to the podcast. Again, it'll redirect you to Anchor and allow you to leave me a voice message where you can ask me a question or just send it to me on whichever form of social media you have or on my website, dracosden.com. That being said, I'm going to go ahead and close this out and I will talk to everybody on the next episode.